Thank you, Laura and Betty. Wonderful job. We have a special guest with us this morning. Uh, Gideon Representative Joe Maxwell is with us this morning. He's going to come and give us a brief uh, report on the work among the Gideons. It's a wonderful work of distributing scriptures. Certainly want to encourage everyone that uh, would like to to give at the end of the service to that. It's well worth our effort. Brother Joe, you come if you would, please. You welcome him as he comes. <laughs> Thank you, Brother John, for allowing us to be here today, and it's always a pleasure to come and share a little bit about the Gideon ministry. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word that goes forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the things to where I send it. I believe that with my whole heart. I want to share just a few minutes with you this morning. Uh, last year we handed out 91.8 million copies of God's Word throughout the world we live in. We're in 200 countries. We print God's Word in 101 different languages. Something happened last year that's never happened before. We handed out more scriptures in India than we did the United States. Last year we handed out around 11 million copies in the United States and exceeded that in India. Uh, I want to share with you this morning just briefly. I've been reading some statistics, and it's very surprising to me that less than 5% of Christians ever pray for anyone's salvation outside the walls of a church. That's just hard for me to believe, but I, after looking around, I believe it's true. And I want to tell you, you cannot fail if you want to share the gospel with someone. The average person is approached 7.6 times before they ever accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I want to share one that happened last year. This coming Wednesday, we're going to be handing out scriptures on UCA's campus. That's always one of the best days of the year for me. In the past, we've been handing out about 4,000 scriptures. And last year, as I was driving to campus... I said, God, if there's anyone there today that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, send them by me. And I repeated that two or three times on the way. I got there early, and my post was in front of the library. And I can't tell you how many pocket knives I've lost over the years by taking places I wasn't supposed to. But I had one there. I opened a box of Scripture. A young lady came by, and I said, if you'll wait just a second, I'll give you a copy of God's Word. She waited. I opened that box, reached in, and handed her a little green testament, just like this one. And I said, are you a Christian? And her answer was, I used to go to Sunday school. And I asked her, I said, would you like to change that today? And on that campus, she prayed that the sins of her heart would be passed away and the love of Jesus would fill her heart forever. And I'm telling you, that was the happiest little girl. Her name was Jana. Please pray for her and pray for this distribution that we're going to have Wednesday on UCA's campus and many others come to know Christ. We handed out better than 4,000 copies between there and CBC that one day. I want to ask you to pray for other things, too. We got a Bible blitz in Little Rock, Central Arkansas, the week after this coming week. We have 100,000 scriptures to hand out. I hope they wind up in the hands of 100,000 people that don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. 
the Gideons have changed a bit, not on our purpose, but we're known by the Bibles we hand out. But our one and only purpose is to win the loss to Jesus Christ. Boys and girls become to know Jesus Christ, their personal Savior. As you make out your check today or your cash, I ask you to give what you can. And ladies, if y'all have ever saved any money buying shoes on sale, give that money to the Gideons. We'll buy Bibles with it and hand it out all over the world. And men, if you'll stay home one day from hunting, golfing, and give us that money, we'll buy scriptures with it, and maybe somebody will come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I thank you so much for allowing me to be here today. Thank you, Brother Joe. We will have the usher standing by at the doors at the conclusion of the service. If you care to give something to the Gideon cause, it would be very much appreciated, and I believe it a very great cause. Take your Bibles. Turn with me this morning to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. Last Sunday I preached on our duties as citizens, Christian citizens. And uh, one of the things that I told you would that I would try to get some information into your hands specifically about the ballot issues that will be on the ballot in November. And there are handouts on the desk desk in the back that will tell you what all of the ballot initiatives are on the ballot this November so that you might be able to make up your mind and know ahead of time what those are. The two that concern me the most are issues six and seven, which deal with quote-unquote medical marijuana, but it's a bad law and uh, really doesn't have anything to do with making marijuana available medically. It has more to do with making it available recreationally. No prescription is required. It cannot be sold at a pharmacy. Anyone with... Uh, pain or nausea can take it. If you live more than 20 miles away from a marijuana selling store, you can grow it for yourself and sell it. So it really is uh, a poorly disguised attempt to make a marijuana legal. Take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 18. You may not remember, but we're going to pick up in verse number 28. It's been two weeks, but in our last message, In our study of the book of John, we looked at Peter's denial of the Lord. John told us that the arresting party had bound Jesus and led him away. Jesus is taken to the house of the high priest, and there Peter denies knowing Jesus three times, just as predicted by the Lord. The last scene we witnessed was of Jesus being led across the courtyard at the very moment that Peter makes his third denial. According to Luke's account, Jesus is led into the court there are just as Peter denies Jesus for the third time. In that tiny moment of time, we are told that Peter cursed, that the rooster crowed, and that Peter looked up and saw Jesus looking directly at him. And in an overwhelming sense of guilt and remorse, he fled from the palace. As we've already seen, regardless of how things may have looked in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Judas betrayed Jesus and as an armed guard came to arrest him, Jesus 
was in complete control of the situation. And the same is true as we read of the trials of Jesus. Jesus is even in control of the kind of death that awaits him. Actually, the rulers could have gotten away with a vigilante stoning of Jesus. But Caiaphas, the high priest, wanted not just Jesus dead, he wanted Jesus crucified. He wanted him crucified to demonstrate to the common people that Jesus was under a curse. Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verse 3 says, he who is hanged is accursed of God. So Caiaphas thought that if Jesus If they saw Jesus crucified, that the people would be forced to say he can't possibly be the Messiah. I don't believe it ever entered into Caiaphas' mind that he was in fact fulfilling scripture. Jesus was in control. The Jewish religious leadership had established to their own satisfaction that Jesus was guilty of blasphemy. And that he was therefore liable for the death penalty. But they had a problem. They had no authority to have someone crucified. They needed the Romans for that. It is for that reason, early on Friday morning, they led Jesus from Caiaphas' house to the Praetorium, which is the governor's residence. In verse 28, it says that they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium, and it was early morning. In verse 29, we're told that the Roman governor was a man by the name of Pontius Pilate. So who is Pilate? He is a man appointed by Rome to be the ruler or governor over Judea. This was a prestigious position. You had to be at least 27 years of age and You had to have proven yourself as an administrator. So Pilate was no bumbling idiot, but he appears to be a man who was morally weak and brutally cruel. Pilate's term as governor of Judea is said to have ended after an incident recounted by the the Jewish historian Josephus in which Pilate massacred a large group of Samaritans. He was exiled to Gaul when Caligula was a Roman emperor, and eventually it is said that Pilate committed suicide. When Pilate arose on that fateful morning, however, he could not have expected to be confronted by the greatest decision of his life. The question he confronted was the same question that each of us will face in this life. What will I do with the man named Jesus? John explains that all of this happened early in the morning. That's because the Jewish law said that a case that involved the possibility of a death sentence could not take place at night. The Jewish leadership wanted at least to give the appearance of legality there were the proceedings the remainder of verse 28 says but they themselves did not go into the praetorium lest they would be defiled but they might eat the passover we shouldn't fail to notice 
The fact that although these religious leaders were very careful about not becoming ceremonially unclean by entering the residence of a Gentile, they don't seem to be bothered by the moral defilement of scheming to have an innocent man put to death. Verse 29, we are told, And Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? Pilate's question seems to catch them off guard. They seem to expect that Pilate was just going to kind of rubber stamp their indictment of Jesus and quickly authorize his execution. Instead, Pilate asked them for a formal list of charges against Jesus. It quickly becomes apparent that they were not able to substantiate any charges that would make Jesus worthy of death under Roman law. In verse 30, they answer Pilate by saying, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Since they are unable to articulate any charges that would make him worthy of death, they come up with a pious-sounding version of, well, you're just going to have to take our word on this. Pilate's response to this in verse 31 is, you take him and judge him according to your law. Pilate says, if you have no formal accusation to make against Jesus, then you, and the word you is emphatic here, you take him and look after the whole matter yourselves. The problem is that the Jews have the right to execute people only by stoning. The Jewish religious leaders responded to Pilate in verse 31, Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying what death he should die. The problem that the religious leaders faced was that there was no Roman law against blasphemy. That was a Jewish matter. They could not say this man claims to be the Messiah because Paul, Pilate would have dismissed that out of hand. And that would have been it. Pilate did not like the Jews and he had no intention of being dragged into a debate about their religious law. So the Jewish religious leaders inferred that Jesus was causing political problems. Luke chapter 23 and verse 2 records, And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation, forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is... Christ, a king. So knowing that the Roman law did not forbid or recognize blasphemy as a sufficient cause for death, the Sanhedrin, the high court of the Jewish rulers, concocted three other accusations against him, perverting the nation, forbidding the paying of taxes to Rome, and the claiming to be a king. Treason would have been the charge in the formal sense. And this was a charge that Pilate could not overlook. It was certainly a charge worthy of the death penalty under Roman law. Therefore, their real reason was religious, but they pursued political charges because it was expedient 
to do so. Now Pilate begins dealing with Jesus one-on-one. And he asks him a series of questions. And then one question he asks of the crowd that is awaiting judgment. There's one interesting sidelight that I don't know that I ever stopped to consider. What language did Pilate and Jesus converse in? There's no mention of an interpreter being present. That may have been because John considered it so obvious that it didn't need mentioning. But it is possible that there was no interpreter present. Pilate is an educated Roman, probably spoke Greek. It's highly unlikely the way he felt about the Jews that he would have learned Hebrew. We cannot be sure, of course, but it is high possibility that what we find in our Bibles is the exact words between John, uh, between Jesus and Pilate. Let's consider his questions. Question number one, are you the king of the Jews? Verse 33, then Pilate entered the praetorium again. He called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Although this is, in a sense, a legal question, you can't hardly miss that it was a, quite an incredulous exclamation to say, are you the king of the Jews? You? Well, it's not hard to understand why Pilate found this so hard to believe. Jesus stood before him dressed as a peasant his clothing stained with sweat and blood, and his features already swollen beyond recognition. Jesus answered Pilate's question in verse 34 by saying, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Now, this is really not an attempt to evade giving an answer, but it's a step in clarifying what really is at issue here. If Pilate is asking the question for himself, he's asking Jesus if Jesus was an earthly king. If Calvary is asking a question that's been prompted by the Pharisees, he's being asked, are you a heavenly king? Are you the Messiah? Which leads us to question number two. In the middle of the discussion of the kind of kingdom that Jesus possessed, Pilate asked an intriguing question in verse 35 He says, Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priest had delivered you to me. What have you done? Pilate wanted to know what Jesus could have done that aroused so much hatred by his own people. The Jewish leaders had dragged him before the Roman governor and were obviously set upon attaining the death sentence. Obviously, something lay behind all of this maneuvering. And Pilate would like to know what it was. Clearly, Pilate was not prepared to regard what the high priest had told him as being necessarily the truth. There was something going on here which Pilate did not completely understand. But what he did understand, he didn't like. Jesus answered Pilate in verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Jesus does not respond to the suggestion that he's done something to offend the high priest. Uh, 
but instead goes back to the consideration of his kingship. Jesus proclaims himself to be a spiritual king. He says, if my kingdom were of this world, which it is not, then my servants would be fighting for me, which they are not. Question number three, are you a king then? Are you a king then? Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Jesus says that it is as Pilate has stated. Though he does not have a political kingdom, he is a king. Question number four, what is truth? What is truth? Pilate said to him, what is truth then? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. According to a survey done by the Berna Research, two-thirds of American adults believe that moral truth is relative to our circumstances. The motto of our day seems to be, it may be true for you, but it's not true for me. Christians are constantly told today that it's okay for them to have their personal beliefs as long as they do not insist that they are true for everyone. The great offense of our day against toleration is that Christ is not only a savior, but he is the only savior, the only way and truth and life. Truth is transforming if obeyed, but results do not necessarily come from hearing the truth but by applying and obeying the truth. The deeper question is whether Pilate will act on the truth that he has seen. Pilate was, in fact, standing face to face with the truth in the flesh. At that very moment, Pilate is standing closer to the truth than he's ever been before and closer than he will ever be again. Pilate has the truth, but he must decide what he's going to do with the truth, and he makes the wrong decision. Early on, Pilate came to understand that Jesus had committed no crime. From that point on, it was never a question of guilt or innocence. It was a question of what Pilate would do. As Charles Swindoll has pointed out, the pressure proved to be too much for Pilate. As it seems to be true of most politicians, public popularity trumps personal integrity. In Mark chapter 15 and verse 10, we learn that Pilate realized the reasons that the Pharisees were so angry with Jesus. It says he knew that the chief priest had delivered him for envy. Pilate was many things, but he was not a fool. He saw through the empty charges and understood that the religious leaders were trying to do. 
The, the priests wanted the kind of power and authority with the people that Jesus exercised and repeatedly demonstrated. And because they did not possess it, they were angry and envious. The envy of the religious leaders kept them from, religion, from receiving Jesus. Envy is still a powerful emotion. Well, you may be saying, how does that apply to me? I, I don't envy Jesus. The reason that the religious leaders rejected Jesus was that his life and his words were a dreadful mirror of their own souls. When we are convicted, we do one of two things. We repent or we get angry. But either way, it causes a reaction. After determining for himself that Jesus was innocent, Pilate did his best to escape the responsibility of sentencing Jesus. In fact, three times he declares that Jesus is innocent. He had already tried to give Jesus back to the religious leaders and have them make their own decision. And now Pilate tries three more times to evade the responsibility. But excuses do not negate responsibility. First of all, by sending Jesus to Herod. When he really realized that Jesus was a Galilean, he thought he had a way out. And so he sent him to Herod. But when Jesus refused to perform any miracles for Herod, he had Jesus dressed in a royal robe and beaten and sent him back to Pilate. Secondly, he offered a choice between Jesus and Barabbas. Pilate knew that he ought to release Jesus, but he also knew that this would not please the Jewish authorities and probably would result in a report being sent back to the Roman emperor. So he tried a different course in verse 39. He said, but you have a custom that I should release someone to you at Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? So he's a appealing to the fact that there is a policy, a custom uh, that on Passover an amnesty would be offered to one prisoner who would be released during that festival. And he offered them two men, Jesus, and then he picked the worst man he could find, a notorious criminal named Barabbas. Now, in reality, Barabbas is a nonsensical name. It means son of a father. So probably what we're looking at is an alias that has been adopted for the sake of protecting his family from reprisals from the Romans. But don't misunderstand, Barabbas was not a common petty thief. In our day, he would be called a terrorist, a man who killed with no emotion whatsoever. Dr. Barnhouse wrote, Barabbas was the only man in the world that could say that Jesus Christ took his place physically. But I can say that Jesus Christ took my spiritual place. For I was the one who deserved to die. It was I who deserved the wrath of God that should be poured out on me. I deserved the internal punishment of the lake of fire. He was delivered up for my offenses. 
He was handed over to judgment because of my sin. Christ was my substitute. And finally, in one last gasp, he tries to placate the crowd by having Jesus beaten in the hopes that the side of a bleeding and broken man might move his accusers to pity. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 27 for just a moment as we look at the last question, the question addressed to the crowd. What shall I do with Jesus? Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release to you? And Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ. For they knew that he handed him over because of envy. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, Have nothing to do with this just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priest and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, What then? Shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? Pilate's final question was the most important one of all. It was about Jesus, but it was not addressed to Jesus. When the crowd demanded Barabbas, he asked, What then shall I do with Jesus? In the end, they accepted that Barabbas would be the one to be released. Pilate knew he should release Jesus, and in fact, he wanted to. He wanted to release Jesus, but he wanted to release him without any cost to himself personally. He wanted to let him go, but without having to take a personal stand. Perhaps he admired Jesus in a way, but not enough to believe in him. He yielded finally to intimidation and public pressure And he sentenced Jesus to die. But in a final act of a tortured conscience, he took a bowl of water and he washed his hands. Matthew is the only one to tell us of this incident recorded in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 24. It was a symbolic gesture intended to indicate that he did not approve of the crucifixion of Jesus. However, what Pilate found out was that the shed blood of Jesus will either cleanse you from your sin or it will be on your hands for all of eternity. But the day is really not about Pilate's decision. His story is written. It's your story that hangs in the balance. The question that Pilate struggled with is the same question that we will all face. What will you do with Jesus? The choice they faced remains ours today. Truth or power? God's way or the way of the world? Faith or works? Grace or pride? Pilate tried in vain to find a middle road, a scheme in which he could serve both and neither without having to choose. But there is none. Jesus calls us 
to his kingdom and to reject the kingdom of this world. And so we must choose. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your recorded word, appreciative for what Jesus did for us. And in a spiritual sense, he did take our place on the cross of Calvary. He who was without sin took our place on the cross and thereby was able to pay the penalty that our sin required. Father, it may be that everyone in this place has received you as their personal Savior. They know that they're saved. They know they're going to heaven. But I suspect that's not true. That there's someone here that has never placed their personal faith and trust in you. And so, Father, I pray that you'd help them today to see that they are sinners. just like everyone else in this place. And that our sins have separated between us and the holy God. But the good news is that Jesus came. He lived a life free of sin, that he might be our substitute, that he might take our place. And there on the cross, he paid for our sin. If there's anyone that has not done that, then Lord, I pray that they might do that right here, right now. For all of us who know Jesus is our personal Savior, I pray that we would live in the light of that knowledge. Help us, Lord, to be the light of this world the salt of this earth, as you have called us to be. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me?